and welcome to Mind and Money, the series where we discuss how what goes on in your brain, as well as your background, affects what you do with your cash. I'm Becky O'Connor, Head of Pensions and Savings for Interactive Investor, and I'm pleased to have Greg Davies, Head of Behavioural Finance at Oxford Risk with me again for the September Back to School episode. This one is all about instant gratification and deferred gratification. It's often said that we live in a world of instant gratification and this is one reason people go into debt so that they can have things now rather than the good thing that we should be doing which is saving so that we can have things in the future. Now Greg is an expert in this area and is going to give us some brilliant insights I'm sure into um, how we can maybe change our our wiring if we need to. Um, Greg, as humans are we hardwired to to gratify instantly? Is it just biological? Is it the way we are? Yes, it, it absolutely is to a large extent. Um, we've all had that experience of knowing that we're I don't know, on a diet and the last thing we should be doing for our long-term goals is picking up the piece of chocolate cake. And yet when it is immediately in front of us and right there, what do we do? We pick up the chocolate cake. Um, it's You could think of it as the tyranny of the present. Um, whatever is immediately accessible to our brain. It gives us this, this dopamine hit. Um, the, the pleasure right now is, is treated as in a different category as to trading off anything that we might, we might get in the future. And this is something that psychologists have studied in all sorts of interesting ways, con- conducting experiments to just show us how, uh, how we're influenced by, by the immediate present. So there's one fascinating one where um, psychologists love playing games with their students. So in class, they were told in, a, in, a, in the university class, all the students, you've worked really hard this year. Next week when you come in, we're going to give you a treat. And you can, uh, you can choose to sign up. If, you, if, you're, if you're healthy, you know, we'll give you a banana. If you're, if you're less health conscious, you, know, you can sign up for, your, for a chocolate bar. But please sign up now so we know what to, how much to get of, of each. And of course, the students all signed up and, and many of them chose the, the healthy category. You know, I, I'm not going to eat the chocolate. I'll, I'll have the banana. And what they did is it, in a week's time, they went back in the class and they said, we're terribly sorry. We, we've lost the list. So what we did is we just bought enough bananas and chocolates for everyone. And we'll, give, we'll donate the rest to charity. So on your way out, just take the one that you had written down. And of course, what you observe is that in the moment, an awful lot of the people who a week before had said, I'm going to have the banana actually dipped their hand into the chocolate box and pulled out the chocolate, right? We, it, our decisions at the moment are very different than any decisions we'll make for our future selves. And that, that is what we have to guard against. We have to be aware of this. And whenever this comes to, you know, dieting or exercise or health behaviors or financial behaviors, just knowing that there's a different bunch of switches clicking off in your mind when you're making a decision for something now and if you're making a decision for something in the future is something we all have to guard against. Is there anything to do with age there? Are children more likely to go for the chocolate bars over the bananas than adults or are adults just as likely to go for the the gratification in the present? Uh, Impulsivity does tend to decrease with age and, and it might not be because we're less impulsive. It may be because we have built strategies for ourselves over our lives that make us better able to deal with the um, with with the immediate impulse. And so, you know, a lot of children just, uh, <laughs> the impulse is there. I see no reason not to act in it. I have no particular strategies not to act in it. I'll just go. And 
if something in life is important to us, then over life, we start to build ourselves frameworks to, to help us decide better. Um, and it may also be that maybe we're just less impulsive too as we get older. So yeah, there is an age uh, element to this. And what, what do you think would motivate people to take the banana or to take the retirement income in the future rather than the sofa now? Um, do you think we're more motivated to save and invest for the long term by thinking about what things would be like if we didn't do that or what things would be like if we do? Is there, what, What's going to motivate us to do the right thing? Well, the thing is to get your mindset out of what's in front of you, out of the, the immediate thing. And there's a whole bunch of ways of doing that. But one is, is you're right, just thinking about the future, making the future more visceral, uh, more emotionally appealing can be very effective. There are these wonderful studies where they, they've used technology, um, uh, you know, virtual reality type technology. You take, the machine takes a photo of you. And then it puts you through this artificial aging process. So you can see an, a version of yourself 30 years in the, in the future. And apart from being absolutely terrifying, um, what they have observed is when you do this, um, people will pay more attention to their long-term future me's needs. They will start to save more. They'll be more likely to put money into the pension and the, and the retirement account. And what it's really doing is it's, it's, it's decreasing the emotional gap between me now and me in the future, um, in the same way as we're all more likely to go out of our way to help a close friend than a distant friend, or we're more likely to go out of our way to, you know, help someone who's who's you know lives down the road versus someone on a different continent. The same thing happens in time. If we can reduce the emotional distance to our future selves, we actually can focus much more on on the needs of of that future person, and we're more likely to sacrifice our current pleasure for that. Um, but there are other things we can do, right? I mean, one of them is to simply try and remove yourself from the trigger. Um, if we if we know that we're impulsive, and, and uh, it's important to realize that some people just are more impulsive than others. So understanding yourself, self-knowledge, and I know this is a theme that we've come back to over and over again in these in these talks. Every one of us is different. Uh, understanding where you sit is is important. But if you are an impulsive person, uh, try to remove yourself from the environment where you you exhibit those impulsive behaviors. You know, lock the fridge. Uh, uh, make sure that you don't find yourself in um, uh, areas where your uh, your desire for retail therapy is going to take over. So that's the other thing is is you can try and reconfigure your current environment to make make it less likely that your impulses are acted on. And the other thing we can do is to start building up rules for ourselves. And I, I, I often think that the most effective thing we can do for ourselves as well as for our kids is whenever you're inspired to spend money on something, the, the simple single thing you can do best is force yourself to wait 24 hours before, before doing it. And if you, can, if you can execute that rule, and it's nothing there to stop you from buying it, right? I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to stop myself from buying it. All I'm doing is putting a pause point. I'm putting a little emotional break. And maybe in 24 hours, I'm no longer in that emotionally charged impulsive zone. And at the margin, it means that I'm going to be spending less on immediate gratification. Then, And then, of course, I've got more for my future. Oh, it's so hard, though, isn't it? The level of discipline required to make yourself do that. Um, and I wonder, you know, we tell ourselves things as well, don't we? There are the... The YOLO culture now, you only live once, which is kind of 
you know, risen, I suppose, during the pandemic and in response to the pandemic, because people have seen people that they love and know die prematurely. And then you think, well, I don't know if that future self is going to be there. And it's perfectly rational argument. You know, you don't know that that is true. So I guess that then separates people away from that future self. It's so funny, by the way, that you mentioned the app. I was using it earlier for something else completely different. Absolutely terrifying. But yeah, what do you think of the the YOLO culture and the, this response to the pandemic? And is that going to derail people's retirement plans? Uh, well, it certainly runs the risk of doing so. But I also think there is this uh, sort of rather sanctimonious, holier than thou thing of, you know, we must all save more and exercise more and diet more and our future selves are always uh, uh, worth doing more for and, you know, rather, you know, we wear the hair shirt, etc. And I think that that is nonsense. We can we can all take this too far. Um, and none of this should be said that it is a good thing to constantly throughout our lives be putting up present selves in situations of pain and anxiety and sacrifice for our future selves who we you know may never turn turn out to be it's about balance where i think it is important to realize is that because of our psychology the natural balance tends to be in the favor of our present self so therefore it's always good to look for some breaks to go which are the bits of my current behavior i think are likely to be most detrimental and most harmful? And what are the strategies I can put in place to do this? None of this means you need to become tedious and boring and never have any fun. Uh, and, and certainly none of it means that we should, uh, we should not be looking for uh, opportunities for our, for our present selves. So I think that balance is important. And, and it's one that sometimes doesn't come across in, in a lot of the self-help type stuff, which is all about how we can be more boring now in favor of being richer later. And that's just, it's, it's the wrong approach. I spend a lot of my time trying to avoid sanctimony, I have to say. Um, so, I mean, it, it obviously depends how much money we have as well, right? So if, you, if you've got some spare cash, as we saw actually with statistics this week showed that people during the pandemic, they made their savings during lockdowns and they did actually put more into their pensions. So... I think that does show that it's on, it's on people's minds, isn't it? This idea that it should be doing that. But it's, there's a lot of, can I do it as well? And and when you're hard-pressed, living costs are rising, it's that much harder, isn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that was very interesting that, that people, when they did have the cash, they did do it. It's playing on people's minds, isn't it? I, I think this is a super important point because the people for whom it is most difficult to delay gratification, to 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 delay impulses, um, are the people who have um, who are who are under more immediate pressure, and in some ways it's perfectly rational. You know, if I am uh, under stress in my life right now, um, I've got a lot of decisions to make. I've got a lot of anxieties. I've got a lot of worries. What that does is it it absorbs our emotional bandwidth and it absorbs our cognitive bandwidth. And it means that we are less likely to be making these these sort of trade offs between future and future self and, and, and self right now. Um, it's it's a problem of scarcity, and it is a it is a real problem because you know if you get to the end of the week and you don't have much money and you're under stress and you're in a situation of anxiety and now you also find that you've just run out of the energy 
to fight your impulsive self anymore and, and you give up. This can be a spiral. And often it's it's for the poorest sectors of our society who are are least likely to be in a position of having enough time or enough resource to think how I how I balance these things. Um, you know, and there's a there's a, a story of uh, you know about how if you're less well off, there are genuinely things that financially it is difficult for you to invest in your own future. So uh, if if I can't afford um, to buy the item of clothing or I don't know the coat or the shoes etc. that is more expensive, um, but it's more expensive because it's better made and it will last for years. Instead of buying something that costs me a little bit more and then lasts me for 10 years, I end up buying the cheaper one because immediately I simply don't have the money for the more expensive one. I buy the, the cheaper one, which lasts me six months. 10 years down the line, I, as the less well-off person at that point, have now bought 20 pairs of shoes instead of one pair of shoes. And it's because in the moment, I simply don't have the financial resource, or sometimes it's a time resource, or sometimes it's it's simply a, an emotional resource to make the longer term investment. Um, and that is a, a the, the real detrimental thing of this uh, immediate gratification problem is very often the people to whom it matters most are the people who find themselves least able to delay gratification. And then at a certain point, I think people feel that they may as well just give up. I remember speaking to somebody once and she described what you were just saying as like, you can never quite get on the front foot. You're always playing catch up because there's always something that you're repaying from before. So you can never take that step. And she was somebody who was um, well aware that she didn't have a big enough pension at the age of 48 and had just given up. And that's that's a risk too, I guess, isn't it? It is. And, uh, you know, there are all sorts of examples like this. So it's cheaper to buy things in bulk. But if you don't week to week have enough spare cash to buy the bulk version of this and you have to buy it in small increments or you are living in um, a smaller house which doesn't have the storage facilities or the refrigerator space to buy things in bulk, you actually end up paying as a poorer person, you end up paying more per every unit of everything you consume. And so, you know, that that is a, a real financial constraint. And the same applies to financial services, by the way, where a lot of, you know, the, the free banking, the the extra services that you get as a wealthy person in the financial services industry are things that people who are less well off have to pay for. Uh, and so, you know, your, your fees, your charges, your taxes, all of this stuff. Um, well, you know, not government taxes, but you know the the, the 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 taxes that you get through having to pay for financial advice or this cost more the 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 less well off you are. So that I mean, even the, it's interesting that we've ended up talking about this because it 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 does feel like there's um you know you have to be in a position where you can defer gratification to some extent is what we're saying and. It, it's partly the psychology of why auto enrollment was so successful as well, right? If you if you're in it, then you it's happening even without you realizing. And perhaps that's that's one answer to this is to just you know take the hit, take the pain. Um, if you're auto enrolled, that's great; it's done for you. But if you also want to start your own long term savings or investing, 
do it and then just don't think about it. Just let it happen, make it invisible. So you're not constantly aware of this trade-off. Does that help if you just do it and then like make yourself about it? Yeah, so that's that sort of strategy where I change the environment. You know, if if it's if I'm trying to give up smoking, I, I need to avoid the triggers. So you know, if if I always end up having a cigarette with a cup of coffee, it, it may be that I actually need to give up coffee for a while in order to give up smoking. Um, and in a similar way here, if you want to um, if you want to save more. Um, you want a lot of those savings decisions to be taken away from you. The emotional cost of these things is involved in the actual decision-making and the stress of having to say no to something in order to get something in the longer term. Now, if we automate the saying no and we put it out of sight, out of mind, so that in an automatic enrollment example, you know, it happens for me. I don't have to make the decision every month as to whether I'm going to be taking this amount of money and deliberately putting it in my pension and thinking about all the things I'm missing as a result, because that amount of money has already gone into my pension before I even see my salary check come through the door. So it's the same eventual situation, but one of them has much more emotional anxiety and pain associated with it. So the more we can automate good decision making, the more we can um, say, here is here is something I want to do for my long-term savings. Um, let me write a rule about it. Let me even hand that rule over to someone else to make sure it happens automatically. And I just don't have to sign off on that every week or every month. You're, you'll get to that situation much, much more easily. Uh, and none of this is to say you can't reverse that rule. Uh, if you really had to, you might stop it and go, actually, right now, I can't afford to be putting that money uh, into the into the long-term situation. But if I have to make that decision every week for a year versus make that decision once and it happens automatically, the the likelihood of of me saving is going to be vastly higher uh, in, in the um, in the situation where I make that decision once. It's that power of routine, isn't it, that applies to other things in life too. Like I just go for a run on a Sunday morning. That's just what I do. I don't think about it. Um, yeah, I think we can learn from other areas of our life and our approach to other areas of our lives um, with the good habit. It's it's interesting, Becky, the language that you just used there, which is it's something I do. It's who I am. I am a person who goes for a run every Sunday morning. Now, that is a fundamentally different mindset to I'm going to try to go for a run every Sunday morning. So it's been assimilated into your identity. I'm just the sort of person who does that. And that means it's easy for you to do because actually doing something different from that is what creates the cognitive dissonance of I'm not being me now. And the more we can start to internalize these things. And if you're trying to build up a new habit, um, you know, firstly, don't try to commit to something that's too big or too difficult or for too long. Go, I'm going to do this for a month. I'm going to do it for two months. And, and then we'll revisit so it's ironically uh, much easier to commit to something if, if your initial commitment is less. So I'll just do it for two months and then you find that that's easy. But the other thing is, you know, don't use the language of I'm going to try and do this every month. Use the language of uh, I am the sort of person that does this every month. And those little, you know, linguistic switches are the things that can help us to to find an emotionally easier path to the deferred gratification. That's really interesting. It's looking in the mirror and saying, I am an investor. I am an investor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like that idea. Um, 
I mean, uh, there was a test. You mentioned the banana and chocolates test, which I hadn't yeah. heard of, but I, I'm aware that there are other tests and there was this famous marshmallow test, was there not? And I wonder if you could just talk about that briefly because um, what I really want to know is the conclusion was that one set of children went on to have better lives and the other set had slightly worse lives. And I, I, I'm i intrigued by that and wondered if that was actually correct. But I'll let you explain the experiment because it's quite famous, isn't it? Yeah, you know, so there's lots of interesting things to say about this. And, and, and briefly, the experiment, this was done with um, children between the ages of about three and a half and five and a half. And um, they were put into a room and the experimenter would put in front of them a marshmallow and say, you know, here is a marshmallow. I'm going to leave this room and I will come back in 15 minutes or 10 minutes. Or, there were various different versions of the experiment testing different variables. But I will come back. And if when I come back, you have not eaten this marshmallow, you can have two marshmallows. So this is you know, the example of uh, your interest rate, if you like. And it's a pretty, pretty high interest rate. I wait 15 minutes and I've doubled my, doubled my, my investment. And what the experiment was looking at is uh, which of these children are able to, uh, to defer the gratification and to wait the 15 minutes in order to get two marshmallows rather than one. Now, the interesting aspect of the study, well, there were many interesting aspects of it, but one of them is when these same children uh, were tracked through their lives and they went back a decade or 15 years later, the ones who, when they were small, were able to deny eating the marshmallow and would wait for two marshmallows were doing better in all sorts of other aspects of their life 15 years later. So they're getting better SAT scores. They were, you know, I don't know, earning better. All of the things that you think come from people deferring gratification in order to invest in their future, more studying, more exercise, etc. That seemed to be the case. Now, I should say like most of these psychology experiments, a lot of the initial results when these have been replicated in other experiments you know, tend not to be quite as large as, as, the, as the first one that was discovered. But there genuinely does seem to be something to this uh, where some of this impulsivity is is quite hardwired. It's it's innate, and and you have the sort of personality that lends itself to def- being able to defer gratification, or you don't. And that might seem a very negative story, right? Because if you're in the I'm just an impulsive person, uh, you might think, well, I'll just throw in the towel now and and and, and give up. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that that interpretation at all. I would say, well, there is value to knowing whether you are an impulsive person, particularly in certain contexts, because that means you can start to build the strategies to overcome that impulsivity. Whereas if you don't think you're impulsive, but actually you are, you know, you're going to go down all sorts of awkward life paths. Um, the, the other thing that's worth saying about this experiment is what they observed, even at this extremely young level, is the kids who were deferring gratification weren't doing it just by steel willpower they would find ways of distracting themselves. So they would sit on their hands so they couldn't pick up the marshmallow. They would sing themselves songs. They would stare anywhere except at the marshmallow. And these are are children who, even at a very young age, are starting to find strategies for how uh, you defer this gratification. 
And I have to confess, I, I put my son through this when he was four and a half to see what would happen. Um, and he passed, but we have the whole thing on video. And um, you can see him doing this. He's, he's looking around the room. He's trying desperately to look at anything except the marshmallow that is in front of him. Um, and apart from being a very amusing thing that I'm going to show him in years to come, um, it, was a, <laughs> it was a fun thing to do, although I'm not recommending experimenting on your children. Oh, no, absolutely experiment on them. That's a great idea. I'm going to try it on mine tonight, although I'm pretty sure they're going to fail the test, as I think I would at their age too. But it's interesting, the strategies, is because I did consider that that was a negative um, uh, thing for me to realise about myself, that I'm quite impulsive. But as you say, uh, it doesn't have to be, and there are strategies that you can learn if you recognise that about yourself. Um, and, you, you know, you can follow the logic of somebody who is able to defer gratification and be that person. So that that is is a much more positive interpretation, I think, of that experiment, which I will definitely take away. Um, I, I, well, it's been absolutely fascinating. And again, I feel we could go on and on. Um, but I think, you know, we can safely say that even if you do only live once, you might only live once for quite a long time. So that the balance is the key, isn't it, between the, the here and now and the future self. And um, yeah, hopefully um, everybody's learned something quite useful today. So Greg, thank you very much once again. And um, please like and subscribe and check Interactive Investor for more podcasts and podcasts.